Hey gang, welcome back. Last week's episode with Joe Francarolo was our second biggest one ever. I had no idea he had such rabid fans. So if you're back again this week and you're fairly new to the podcast, welcome. I want to tell you the point of this podcast is to tell the stories that don't get told as often of the artists that deserve more attention. And this week's guest is one of the biggest, most meaningful guests to me personally. It's Robin Clark. Now, if you know who Robin Clark is, her most high-profile thing was probably when she was a member of Simple Minds. In the mid-80s, during that once-upon-a-time period, she sang on hits like Alive and Kicking that you're listening to now, Sanctify Yourself, all the things she said. People forget, Simple Minds were one of the biggest bands in the world for a couple of years. And she was a member during that time, toured the world with them. So i got to tell you how this happened. I, uh, a few weeks ago, I started thinking, I'm going to do some research on Robin Clark. I don't know that much about her. I'd love to talk to her. I'd love to know where she is now. I look up her credits, and I see that she has sang on a couple of Bowie albums. Now, if any of you know anything, you know he's my all-time favorite, so immediately I'm excited. Keep in mind, when I found this out, he had just died maybe a week or two before this. So I start doing some further research, and I see that she was married to Carlos Alomar who is David Bowie's longtime musical director, rhythm guitarist, collaborator, songwriter. So now I'm really excited. I track her down. She's willing to talk. Now, I assume I go in ready to talk about Simple Minds, which I'm happy to do. I love them. And I'm thinking, out of sensitivity, maybe we can commiserate for a minute about David Bowie and his passing and how bummed we are. Uh, Also, I assume, like most famous couples, that she and Carlos are long divorced. So I really don't know what her connection is to Carlos, or David, or even the music industry at this point. She graciously accepts my invitation, says she'd love to be interviewed, and so I go into this thing prepared to talk about Simple Minds. Well, come to find out, she and Carlos are still married. They've been married for 45 years. And they remained friends with Bowie the whole time. They even lived across the hall from him for a while. So suddenly this went from a conversation about simple minds with a little bit of Bowie to talking to somebody who has a glimpse or a view into one of my heroes that few people on this planet have ever had. And she graciously, graciously allowed me to kind of pick her brain and ask her some questions. Now, I purposely didn't want to be insensitive about this and ask anything, you know, too personal or too dirty or or gossipy or rumory or anything like that. I wanted to humanize David. I wanted to know Dave. She knew Dave. I wanted to know more about Dave, a guy, the one who's not the rock god, the guy who just lives across the hall. And so she allowed me to ask some Very interesting questions. They were the first things that came to mind. I was not prepared for that. But I like to think that we touch on some things that may color your image or your your memories of David Bowie in ways that have never been done before. I'm pretty excited about it. We also talk about Simple Minds. We talk about a lot of other people she's collaborated with, like Nile Rodgers, who I also love. It is a very enlightening conversation. I love her so much. 
You know, I have to admit, I have been lucky enough since I started this podcast to talk to some of my absolute music heroes. Very few have me as starstruck as talking to you does. Oh, <laughs> that's so kind of you. It's, it's it so is sweet. true. You made a huge impression on me when I was 12 years old, and oh. I've never forgotten it. The list of people you've worked with are among my favorite artists, and I love your voice. And so oh, I, I, uh, I'm doing my best to kind of keep my composure here, but I have to oh, admit go I am for it. Getting, pretty, <laughs> getting pretty starstruck. Oh, so, um, that's so kind. We'll just keep going. And, um, okay. So let me give you some background. Okay. I started this because I wanted to talk to the artists that I loved who – didn't get as much attention as I felt they deserved. I wanted to know uh, their stories, you know? Yeah, They're the yeah. stories that don't get told as often. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I'll start a podcast, and that way I can talk to these people and I can get their stories out there and we'll see what, you know, it draws some attention to people I believe in. So, oh, that's so kind. That's so sweet. That's a stroke of genius because, you know, that's not a thought for many. Right. <laughs> Right, and I didn't want, I mean, I'm afraid these stories get lost, and I want people to, those stories are just as interesting as, you know, the big people's stories that we hear over and over again. Absolutely. You know, right now, it's just a a tender time. It is. The loss of David. You know, and uh, a dear friend of ours who actually introduced David to Iman, Teddy Antolin, is his name, David's hairdresser, he passed away. He and my husband, Carlos, spoke, and he said, I'm on my way to New York. I have to see you for lunch. And they both got so busy, they had they postponed oh, their meeting. No. And then we find out that he passed. <laughs> Did he so, know he was sick, and that's why he wanted no, to have lunch? No, we had no, we had, no, we had no oh, idea no that he way. was ill. You know, we, we've known Teddy a long time, and we saw pictures of him, because we haven't, he lives in California, we live in New York. Right. So we'd seen pictures of each other, and we kept saying, "Wow, he's lost a lot of weight. Wow, he's you know he's changed because uh-huh, he was uh-huh. a pretty heavy heavyweight guy." Okay. And uh, then we found out that he was a diabetic, you know, oh, and he yeah. also had heart disease, which walks hand in hand with diabetes. Yeah. But it's just heartbreaking, you know, to know that. But the 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 good thing is that Carlos had sent him a, a funny video called the Butter Dance. It's a woman dancing on butter. <laughs> And slipping and falling and busting her behind, <laughs> and Teddy laughed his ass off, oh, and good. Uh, they had a great laugh. Good, you know, good. and told each other that they loved each other. And oh, one of the last good. things Carlos said to him was, "Take care of your health until I see you the next time." Oh, and then, man. boom, you know. So, uh, yeah. Well, and Natalie Cole, but I know yes, you collaborated with I her too. I sang on her you record. I sang on one of her records. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, 2016 has been like, yes. what is going on, I man? I know. And Maurice White. Yes. Uh, Lemmy. Just, yes. you know, Scott Weiland. Yeah. Just on and on yes. and on and on. And I, I keep saying, are any of our generation going to make it out of our 60s? I know, right? <laughs> What's going on? It you is know? so crazy. And Carlos yes. keeps saying, Robin, this is a part of life. And now we are at a point in our lives where we understand how our parents felt when we saw yeah. them as time went by losing all of their friends and their peers. Yeah. And I guess it's a generational thing. It's just the way life yeah. unfolds. But good God, I mean, yeah. so many in such a short amount of time. 
you know, we didn't, we saw David uh, maybe a year, a year, maybe 18 months ago at Tony Visconti's um, birthday party. And I walked up behind him and was joking with him because he was speaking to the drummer Sterling. And I heard him say to Sterling, as long as you live, Sterling, I'll always be younger than you. And I walked up behind him and I said, yeah, David, and as long as you live, I'll always be younger than you. (laughs) And we laughed and laughed and he talked about his family, talked about how proud he was of Duncan and Lexi. And, you know, he never let on that anything was wrong. So, I mean, rumors were circulating about, you know, a heart attack and poor health and stuff like yeah, that. But yeah. you never, I mean, it's been said a million times by now. No one thinks that David Bowie is actually going to die. They think he's no. sort of eternal and immortal, you know? Yeah. But I didn't know if you guys you were on the inside okay. track and knew that he was sick or, yeah. you well, know. We knew that he was having heart issues. Okay. And that he had, you know, he was kicking the heart. He was taking care of himself. Okay. But we had no idea about what was really going on. And David was a very private, I mean, private, private man. At one point in the 80s, he, we, we had lofts on, um, in an area called Chelsea in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And uh, he moved in next door to us. And there were only two apartments on each floor, these t- okay. huge lofts. On, and so it was two apartments. So we lived very close to each other. Wow. He'd come back and forth over to our place, you know. We were like a family. You know, we spent Thanksgiving together. We saw Joe grow up. Joe, who was Zoe, who was now Duncan. Right, You know, we saw him as a little boy grow up. And Carlos was there with him when John Lennon was killed. And he came over to our apartment and devastated us. So at the same time, there were things that, because of the kind of man that David was, he did not share a lot. And I must say to you, mm-hmm. in his stead, if I were uh, creating like he was creating, and if I were trying yeah. to live the way he was trying to live, I wouldn't share that either. Really? Yeah. There are certain things, because it changes the way people treat you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes the focus off of your creativity. It takes the it focus uh, off of what you're trying to do. Now you have people feeling sorry for you because they yeah. know certain things. Yeah, very true. So I, you know, for Carlos and I, we were devastated because, again, we had no idea. But at the same time, we totally understand. We totally understood why he chose what he chose. He also spared his family the circus that goes along with that. Right, right. You know. Yeah. Um, I grew up with Luther Vandross. He was my best friend. He actually introduced me to Carlos. When Luther got sick, when Luther had his stroke, we were there. We had been friends since wow. we were 17 and 18 years old. And when he had his stroke, you know, he was not the same Luther. He still knew sure. Carlos and I and another sure. singer, a friend of ours, Fonzie Thornton. We were, we all yeah. grew up together. But I saw what happens when people know, you know, and it turns into a circus. Uh-huh. It and it turns into a circus you can't control. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Carlos and I are both like David was afforded something that many of us are not afforded. True. You know, we don't get a chance to orchestrate our exit. It is a miracle. It's a miraculous yeah. last 
creation, really. Oh, I mean, my he God. He created his exit Absolutely. from this world. He orchestrated Absolutely. it so perfectly. It's Absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And I think most fans had come to terms with him, you know, being reclusive because he's been silent mm-hmm. for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, again, being a huge fan of his, it never, in fact, I remember very clearly on his birthday, I remember thinking, okay, David Bowie, he's my number one. I have been mm-hmm. obsessed with David Bowie since I was 10 years old. He's my absolute mm-hmm. favorite artist. Yes. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, he's 69. I'm going to have to get used to the idea that David Bowie is getting old. And pretty soon mm-hmm. I'm going to start seeing him, and he's because he has a new album and he's got that Broadway play, Lazarus. Right. So I'm thinking right. he's, going to be, he's still going to be in the consciousness. He's just yes. orchestrating a return rather than an exit, right? Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to get used to the idea of seeing him being older and mm-hmm. not the same guy that he was before, but aren't we lucky to have him now? Luckily, yes. he looks good and he's creating, and so I don't think I have to worry about any of that yet. And right. then two days later, it was gone. You know? you know what's so amazing about what you say? Yes, it was his exit, but it was also his beginning. Yeah, in a weird was. way, yeah. in a the juxtaposition of both, and I've said that, he knew what was coming. Again, mm-hmm. something that we're all not afforded. Yeah. So he was given the opportunity to become so super creative. Yeah, yeah. To put his business in order. Yeah. To make sure that his family would be taken care of for the yeah. into infinitum. I know. So at the same time, there's a, a whole lot of new music that's going to be coming out. So just yeah. as it is a passing, it's also a new beginning. Yeah. And wow. it's hard for us to accept because right. we want him here. You yeah. know, I was going to say to you before when you were saying, you know, there are certain people that you just never think they're going to die. Right. And that's because of their force in nature and the force mm-hmm. that they have over our consciousness and over our lives. Very true. You know. Yeah. Um, my mother passed in 1975. She was a powerful woman. I never thought she'd die. When people have that kind of force in the world, well, they yeah. really don't ever die. We sort no. of want to keep them here for us. Right. It's and it's true. hard to reconcile when, you know, when you hear that, you know, well, don't mm-hmm. worry, you know, they're still here, but they're not yeah. still here. They're physically no. not still here. But David was so wise. He was a a, a, a brilliant, wise man, and yeah. he knew what he was doing. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that you know. fully. So can it's I, I mean, tragic. Can I it's just it is tragic. so tragic. One thing I'm really grateful for, though, is that, you know, the outpouring of emotion and mm-hmm. condolences and stuff that yeah. came out after he died, there yeah. haven't been that many people, you know, Michael Jackson's death caused yeah. maybe an equal uproar. I yeah. was so grateful because I grew up in Salt Lake City, and I'm mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of kids in Salt Lake City my age who were as passionate about David Bowie as I was, you know. Right. Right. So to me, he's always been like this kind of almost a cult figure, even though mm-hmm. he was world-renowned. He was my little kind of cult figure in a way. Yeah. And so seeing the rest of the world grieve like that, Yes. was sort of gratifying in a way to me because it means, okay, good. I know then that other people love him as much as I do. And that's oh, absolutely. You know? And you were ahead of the curve. Yeah. Because David was a cult figure to a certain extent and and did not really... David was very smart. I mean, he knew his effect in the world. 
Yeah. But I don't think he knew his effect in the world to the extent mm. of the outpouring of grief and sympathy that he has gotten, and it's still going on. Yeah, I agree. I you agree. Know. It's amazing. Um, yeah, totally, so, totally amazing. So let me, I mean, let me, do you, I mean, you knew him in a way most people on this earth never knew him. Do you mind if yeah. I ask you some little sure. things? I mean, like, sure. when he would come over, what did he like to eat, you know? He was a steak guy. He loved steak. steak. Okay. <laughs> he he really? loved steak. But, well, I'll tell you, and my husband is here. Carlos is here if you want to speak to him. But I, the first uh, time yeah. Carlos met him, uh, David was very thin. And Carlos yeah. looked at him and said, you know, you need to come to my house. Let my uh, wife whip you up a meal. What do you like to eat? Meat, potatoes. Very English, you know, uh-huh. meat and potatoes. And he came. We had a little apartment in an area in New York called Queens, New York. And he came, came in his limo, came up to our apartment, our little humble apartment, and we sat down and had roast beef, roasted (laughs) potatoes, and a salad. Really? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. But he was a guy, he loved cheese. He was a cheese guy. He went through a period where he was only drinking milk and eating cheese, and I kept saying, "Mm, not good. Not that good. was back in the uh, 70s kind of yes. drug days. Yes. Yeah. Cheese, yeah. milk, and cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and a glass yes. of Cavassier, you know. Oh, my God. But, um, wow. I mean, we spent okay. Thanksgiving together one year. He he loved everything. You know, really? David sort of elevated our taste buds to certain things. You know, yeah. lasagna was a biggie for him. Really? <laughs> you wow. Know? Yeah. Did you, guys, yeah. did you ever, like, watch television together? Did he oh, ever... please, yes. Well, really? Do you know what he liked where... to watch on TV? Back then, he still loved a lot of English okay. comedy. Uh-huh. So one point we were, I think they were recording, um, I don't remember which album, Carlos would probably remember, probably Lodger or one of those, and we were uh-huh. at the Chateau de Haraville in France, and it's in the French countryside, there's not a lot going on. And he had, he said, I'm go- I want you guys to see something, you're going to love it. And he had all of these VHS tapes flown over from uh, London, and it was Faulty Towers. Oh, wow, yes. And Monty Python. Sure. And he turned us on to Faulty Towers and P- Monty Python. Wow. I wow. know that in later years, David loved television because television also uh, helped him to create uh-huh. You know, he was a, sure. a very, first of all, very well-read man. Yeah, so, I've always heard that. Uh, would carry uh, trunks on the road of books because yeah. he loved to read. But he also loved TV. Mm-hmm. So there were shows that he would like to watch. Mm. He didn't want anyone to know because, of course, you know, oh, that's that's so, ugh, derriguer. You don't want yeah. people to Right, right. What's David Bowie doing? Watching watching Dynasty. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, know? (laughs) David Bowie's watching Law and Order. We didn't even know what to think of that. You know, no one can fathom such a thing. Exactly. Okay. You know, people. Many, many people have asked me the same question: What kind of guy was he? Was he as weird as he Uh portrayed himself to be? No, he was not. I have a feeling. Yeah, that was a persona. He was huh. a regular guy. Seems he like loved a family. He wanted love. 
He loved television. Yeah. He liked to eat. You know, he went through a period in his life where he didn't eat, but it was because of the drugs that he would, yeah. was doing. Right. You know. Yeah. But um, um, okay, I have kind of a weird question for you, and this is something sure. I've always wondered. And if you're not comfortable answering it, you don't have to. But we're so enamored with celebrities. This mm-hmm. is going to sound strange. I don't mean for it to. We're so enamored with celebrities, and so many celebrities smoke a lot. And mm-hmm. I always wonder if, like, if we were to meet Johnny Depp, who women love, and he's beautiful, and he's a heartthrob, mm-hmm. and he's a movie star, he might actually smell of cigarettes if you were mm-hmm. actually around him. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. That's a very odd question, but I've always wondered if David Bowie, because he smoked so much, would he, would he smell of cigarettes? Was it on Was his he clothes? Reeking? Or, no. Yeah, no. Okay. No. No, and not I at know all. That's a weird and question, but I'm trying to think of, like, the really no, personal... No, I understand you know what, what you're mean? saying. Yeah. No, if you knew him and you could touch him and hold his hand, would, would he smell of cigarettes? No. What would he smell like? What would he smell no. like? He okay. always smelled great. Okay. <laughs> he always smelled like a million bucks. Okay. I mean, okay. and he and I shared embraces. He and I loved each other dearly. Good. And uh, like I said, he was my next-door neighbor for a while. No, That's not at all. Incredible. And okay. he was a chain smoker, but he had his thing together. You know, okay. for me, that is from my point of view. Now, if you ask Carlos, who was his band yeah. leader and his sure. guitar player and who was out on the road with him all the time, he may say, yeah, every now and then he, he reeked of cigarettes. Right. Because okay. David smoked, you know, all the time. There is a website called David Bowie Smoking, and really? all it is. All it is is pictures wow. of David from back in the day yeah. with cigarettes hanging out of his mouth in his uh, hands. Yeah. And he did yeah. smoke. I mean, he was yeah. a serious, serious smoker and had yeah. a difficult time giving it up. And then he finally gave it up. You know. Do you know when he gave? When about did he give it up? You know. When Iman came into his life, he oh, stopped he? Okay. smoking. Great, great. Yeah. Do you know how tall he was? Oh, uh, gosh. I would say David was six foot one. I'm five foot okay. seven. He's taller okay. than me. So he's might okay. he might have been about six feet tall. Okay. You okay. know, Carlos always says he was short and I always say, Well that was his posture. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Because when right. he would straighten up, he was taller than I am and I would okay. could look up at him. So okay. I would say close to six feet. You know, okay. five maybe five eleven. But okay. but in that range. Okay, cool. Okay. Okay, here's another couple more odd questions. Another one. You knew him for a long time, obviously, before Mm -hmm. Iman. Did he ever go through a breakup? Did you ever see him when he was, like, heartbroken over a love gone wrong or a relationship that wasn't working out? Oh, boy. Really? Uh, Well, (laughs) You don't have to tell me who it is. Oh, I'm not. When, when When we first met him, we had heard that there was someone that he loved quite deeply uh-huh. that in England that he uh, could not get over, that he had broken up with. Mm. And I must say to you, I mean, we saw David through different relationships. But again, he was personal about his emotions in those mm-hmm. ways. That, you know, we knew that he was might have been heartbroken, but... He also was a person who moved forward. So, yes, I'm in pain, but moving forward. Okay. You huh. know. I wonder um, if he ever came over, like, 
kind of emotional and drunk, like she left me, and no. you had to kind of like console him or anything like no, that? No, no. Okay. I, look, I will tell you this. I know that Carlos had to console him, not over a lost love, but over his heartbreak over John Lennon being killed. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. He came to my apartment, and he was devastated. As far as him being heartbroken over a lost love, never saw that. Huh. Like okay. I said, the only time we saw it was early on when he came. Uh-huh. We were doing Young Americans album and doing Young Americans yeah. tour, and there was someone that he was deeply in love with, and they had broken up. And But to see him show that emotion, he really didn't. Okay. Did he wear pajamas? Did you ever see him? Like, did he ever come over to borrow uh, some milk at night in his pajamas or a bathrobe or something? Well, yeah, we saw him in pajamas and a bath. Really? <laughs> were they fancy pajamas or were they like, oh, yeah. you know, silk, flannel pajamas? Silk robe. Okay. okay. Dinner. What is what is that called? Uh, uh, evening jacket. What do they call smoking yeah. jacket? Smoking, smoking jacket. robes, okay. things like that. You know. Okay. But uh, David was always very classy. Well, that's what I'm kind of getting at. I'm trying to imagine the times always... when maybe he would have been a regular person. You know what I mean? He was a classy dude. Okay. okay. And I mean, we'd seen him in sweatpants and a t-shirt. Really? The gamut. You know, yes, the gamut. That's what I want to know. And like flip flops. You know. And, you yes. know yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. See, that's the stuff that you know regular yeah. people just can't imagine. Well, you know, people sort of deify him and yeah. not and take away the fact that this was, like I said, a regular dude, a regular yeah. guy deep down, yeah. and he loved home and he loved his family and he loved television, and he loved eating, he loved cooking. You know, all of the yeah. same things that you know a lot of people love to do. Yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, of course, when Iman came into his life and she had Lexi and he had Duncan, a great love of family, because mm-hmm. that's the the one conversation that we had the last time I saw him. So proud of his family. And right. the reason that we, you know, he could talk to me about it is because we knew him when he was unhappy. Mm-hmm. We knew him when he went through his divorce, when he yeah. went through his breakup. Mm-hmm. So to see him happy and to see him have the family that he always wanted and also to be there for his daughter in a way that he yeah. had not been there for his son. Right. It was okay. a great thing to see. It was Good. a wonderful thing to see. And it made Carlos and I happy for sure. him to see him finally have the love and the family that he had been searching for. You know? Yeah. Did you ever, did you know Angela? Bowie very well, or I mean, I'm sure you met her, maybe. But. I met her. I knew her. I had been around her, okay. but to to say that we were friends, no. Mm. I mean, at the time, they were still married. I mean, mm-hmm. when I met David, they were still together. Uh, yeah. Joe was a little boy. She was always a really flamboyant woman, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And there were times that we felt that she might have been in competition with him because. She's very show busy, you know. Yeah, she's uh, yeah. very out there in a show business kind of way, and she was then. Right, okay. But, um, you know, we were there for David, and we were peripheral. So there yeah. were things that we saw, right. but they really didn't register with us because she was not the focal point of why we were there. Okay. Yeah, make sure. Even though you she know, felt like she might have been or wanted to be. 
Yeah. I just fear she's kind of, yeah, like you said, she's kind of a flamboyant personality. Uh, yeah. Well, she was then. I don't know how okay. she is now. Right. I mean, I, I saw someone sent me a clip of a, a recent show that she was on here, um, Big Brother House, I think Yeah, it was. I saw that. Yeah, she's in, like, Britain's Big Brother. Yes. And uh, she seems to have mellowed some. Okay. You know, back then, those were the days where people were wild and crazy. Sure. Sure. You know, and now I think she's older and she's mellowed some, and she doesn't seem to be as out there as she was, mm-hmm. you know. But then, back then, first of all, I must say to you, I had never uh, met anyone uh, like Angela. Really? But I had also never met anyone like David at the time. True, yeah. You know. Yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> I, <bet. laughs> I, I learned a lot. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can so, imagine you know, very different I mean, lives than the oh, traditional totally. life we're brought up totally. with. Totally. Right? I'm a girl who grew yeah. up in New York. Yeah. I grew up in the Bronx, and then I moved to Harlem when I was 12 years old. Wow. Practically raised in the Apollo Theater. So my yeah. background was totally different. Sure. You know. Yeah. And totally. and and on the positive side, there are there are so many things that David, you know, uh, showed us and opened us up to because again. Uh-huh. He was from Europe, and he had this background where he was already delving into art. He was already yeah. delving into, you know, antiques. He was delving into so many things, books. He used to give us books to read. Wow. Like, read this. You know, this is going to blow uh-huh. your mind, but you've got to give uh-huh. the book back because it's the only right. one of its kind. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. Except, of course, the yeah, only so, one, right? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Was he, was he um, religious or spiritual at all? Do you know if he was like an atheist? I would say he or... was spiritual. You know, people have okay. said he had no faith in anything, or he right. was an atheist. David was a spiritual man. He had delved into Buddhism. My husband and I had become Buddhist in 1971. So by the time oh, we wow. met him, we okay. had been Buddhist for like four years. Wow. And he was into Tibetan Buddhism. But it was okay. still a, a ground that we could, uh, uh, you know, a common ground that we could speak on and, and the understanding of yeah. the roots and what Buddhism is all about. It's a okay. philosophy more than a, a religion. Okay, okay. You know, but he he totally uh, spiritual. Okay. But also questioning and questing. Well, yeah. that's. I mean, that, that seems to be like the th- common thread of his whole... Yeah. Creative life, right? Is the common yeah. search for yeah. meaning and truth and Absolutely. art and creativity. And that's why Absolutely. I wondered, like, do you, through it all, did he, was he always searching or did he have sort of a baseline belief in something and was kind I, of expanding yeah. on it? But I, I think that David had a common core of, of, of faith in something. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but you see, faith in something is the intangible. So yeah, sure. you're trying to make the intangible tangible. Yeah. So rather than saying, oh, I believe in uh, Jesus Christ on that cross, uh-huh. I believe in the philosophy of cause and effect. Right, right. I believe that what you put into the world, you get back. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. because that was part of the, or that is part of the philosophy of the sect of Buddhism that Carlos and I, have practiced for all these years, we uh-huh. could meet on a common ground as far as okay. that 
okay. thought was concerned, and that's yeah. where David came from. I think later on in his life, he started to embrace more as far as practical religion. I mean, Iman believes in God. Okay. So, I mean, I have seen uh, a lot of writings and saw a lot of things that he had said and she says about God. So, not knowing their personal life, but there is a feeling that I get that because, you know, how your partner can pull you. Yeah, definitely. You, you, yeah. you can sometimes believe because your partner believes. Sure, sure. And you influence each other and Absolutely. in various directions Absolutely. in your life Absolutely. as you grow. Yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. that David came to that in his life. Okay, yeah. But as far as that. being a, a spiritual person, he, yes, he was okay. a spiritual person. That makes sense. Okay. You know. All right, one more that I can think of now. Do you know what his favorite movie might have been? Oh, gosh. Did you guys ever watch, like, some movie, some, you know, Fast Times Boys Bought High, or some movies. some funny, crazy movie that people wouldn't have guessed? I mean, if he's liking Faulty Towers, then he probably likes them. <laughs> Monty Python movies and stuff like he, that, but is there something that... He loves that, Monty Python movies. I bet. No, as far as... Yeah, we watched a lot of movies because okay. we were on the road a lot. So True, being yeah. on the road a lot, he would come back to, let's you know, come back to my room, we'll watch a movie. Uh-huh. Order food, watch a movie. Wow. So we wow. watched a ton of movies. Okay. You know, again, okay. that might be a question Carlos can answer. To okay. pinpoint one single movie, okay. David loved film. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, the thing that we shared, there were so many things we shared in common. I, I love film. Carlos loves film. Stupid movies, you know, sure. inane movies, <laughs> movies yeah. that people say, why are you watching this? It's so stupid. I, right. You know, the Marx Brothers, you sure. name it, okay. you know. He was very well versed and had a very broad taste and acceptance sure. in okay. film because he was very interested in it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I was just curious. I'm just trying to, you know, okay. I'm trying to personalize. I'm trying to imagine the but guy. But I love it because these moment. are questions that are never asked. Oh, really? Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> these are just some of the weird little things, you know, that I yeah, think about. Yeah. Um, sure. Okay. I might think of others, but I want to talk about you because. Okay. I remember, I've never forgotten, I remember watching Friday night videos when I was mm -hmm. 12, 13 years old, mm -hmm. and I had just started getting into Simple Minds. Okay. You know, Don't You Forget About Me was this huge hit, and I'm loving right. it, and now they're my band. I'm starting to pay attention. Right. And Alive and Kicking comes out, and you're featured on that, mm -hmm. but the All the Things She Said video comes out. And that made a huge impression on me, not just because it was a really interesting video, and I wanted to find yeah. out how that was even made, but 
I was I've been rewatching it lately, knowing that we were going to talk, and I realized yeah. what's hitting me is that there's only three people in the video. There's Jim and Charlie and you. Yes. Which is sending a message, and this is you know this is I'm 12 years old. This is pre-internet. All I, I'm gaining a lot of messages and a lot of information from MTV and the videos mm -hmm. I'm watching. Mm -hmm. You are an equal partner. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is a band that these are white guys from Scotland, but here's this beautiful black lady with this great voice who's oh. <laughs> just as equal a member of this band. And that is yeah. expanding my mind in a really new way, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did the relationship with Simple Minds even happen? Oh, boy. So there's a singer named Frank Sims. He later on sang background on the Let's Dance tour. He and okay. his brother, George Sims, they sang... They were the two background singers on stage. But before that, he was a studio musician, studio singer, okay. and he was working on the Simple Minds album, on the Once Upon a Time album. Mm -hmm. And Bob Clearmountain and Jimmy Iovine, Bob Clearmountain was yeah. the engineer, Jimmy Iovine was the producer. Yeah. And they kept saying, to they, they, they wanted a voice, they wanted a voice, they needed this singer, and... Uh, Jimmy and, and Jim said, what we want is that lady that you hear singing on the Young Americans album, that voice on the Young Americans really? album. And Frank was in the studio, and he said, oh, I know her. Really? Robin Clark, I know her. And that's how uh. I got that gig. He called me the next day. He said, can you come to the studio you know, to sing on some tracks? I yeah, said, sure. Yeah. Sure. Then I wow. showed up, and the rest was history. Now, see, I assumed it was probably something similar because Simple Minds are obviously Bowie fans, and they mm -hmm. probably are, you know, they're at the height of their power at that moment. Yeah, yeah. And they're probably thinking, well, I want to, if I can, you know, cherry-pick some Bowie people exactly. to work with me, they went that far back. They thought, oh, we, need yeah. a voice, we need the voice from Young Americans. That sound, we want that sound. And wow. Frank said, oh, I know that the woman who helped to create that sound. Yeah, and that's how I got that gig. Now you were—I mean, you were practically a member of the band for a little yeah. while, right? I mean, you're not yeah. on the cover of the album, but you're—you're you're in the videos. You're I on was tour. A you're not artist. just a back. Yeah, exactly. You're not. Just I a was a featured singer. artist. Once we did the album, there were no other singers. First of all, I must say thank you to Frank because Frank wound up yeah. only singing on a couple of songs, and then it—it it was just me. Wow. After the album was done, I got a call, and it was, do you want to do a video? We have some videos, you know, we're going to do. So uh -huh. I wound up doing the first video, you know. Mm -hmm. And then we did all the things she said. Yeah. And then we did the live Sanctify video. Uh-huh, yeah.
that's how it happened. It was wow. just, you know, first of all, it was like kismet. We got along immediately. Good. We liked each other right off the bat. Jim is a loving man. He was a loving man then. You know, right. they were young. I was young. Yeah. I, I was actually older than them, but we were all still young. Sure. <laughs> you sure, know. Yeah. Younger in your and careers. Exactly. Yeah. They were wide open, you know, to wow. let's do something. We like yeah. you. We want to take you on the road. We want to do really? this with you. We want to do that with you. So, you know, that's how that unfolded. Wow. And Jim had a huge belief in me, you know. That's, that's great. Yeah, huge belief in me. And it was like, we're not going to bring any of We don't need any other singers on the road. All we yeah. want is you, and we're going oh, to feature you. And that's when you great. think about it, at the time, I think that I might have been one of the few background singers that was featured in that way. That's in, an, I mean. in, a, like, in an all-white band. Yes. That's what I mean is that it really made an impression on me. I mean, I'm too young to really know what's going on, but I can tell that this is different. I can tell that, you know, here's this British alternative band with with an American black singer, and that's not normal. I'm not seeing that very often. It was odd. It was odd. But it worked, you know. But it It worked worked so incredibly. And I must say, in Jim's stead, he was a visionary because he saw it. Yeah. You know, he was just like, oh, no, you got to come out on the road with us. And when I said yes, I had no idea how big that was going to be, two yeah. years of touring the world with them. Well, yeah, you and know, they're one of the biggest that, bands in the world at that time. Absolutely. And that Live in the City of Light album absolutely. comes out, and it's great, and you're all yeah. into that. Yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, you have to remember, they preceded you, too. Yeah. And, I mean, they were friends with them. I mean, Jim and, and Bono were friends. Uh, yeah. At one point, we were in uh, Ireland performing, and Bono came up on the stage and sang with us. And this is no before way. they were huge, you know. But wow. Simple Minds were the precursor to that genre of music. Yeah, and that, you're right. And those types of bands. 
you got to explain to me how the video for all the things she said was even done. Because, <laughs> I mean, was it really like, there's 20, you know, echoes or 20 variations of go, what's going on? Explain to me what's going on. Is, was it okay. as time-consuming and difficult as it looks like it, it must have been? It was all day long. And you have to remember that that was, like, ahead of its time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, costume know. changes, <laughs> you yes. know. We had a director, his name was Zbigniew Revchensky, or Revchenskov, I think it is, Revchensky. one of those. But he's a very okay. well-known director, and he did all the videos, actually. Okay. See, I'm I'm confusing the songs. Wait a second. All the things she said... Yeah, the video is... Is that the one on the mountain, or is that the no, one in the studio? No, that's the one kicking. With the yeah, horse, right, that's alive and kicking. Hawk. Okay, I just yeah, lost it for a second. That's okay. Okay. With the hawk. No, with the hawk. With the hawk. With the hawk. That was hilarious, too. Okay. Because everybody was afraid of the hawk. Sure. <laughs> they had the trainer there. They had the, the whole nine, you know, the, the uh-huh. mask over the hawk, so he wouldn't lose it. Uh-huh. But um, that was like a groundbreaking moment for them. Because sure. it it there had nothing been nothing seen like that on MTV. Yeah, no. So I mean, so there are if you watch the video, there's it's like a mirage or something. It's like it's right. it's an image, but each image is unique. It's not just yeah. mirrored. Did you no. have to film each one of those? Yes, we did for each thing, and then they just merge them all together. That's exactly oh what he did. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's wow. exactly what Zabigno did. We filmed each one. There were, as you can see, there were costume changes in each segment. Yeah. yeah. And each one of those moments was filmed separately, and then wow. he did the effect on everything, you know, in the in the lab, I guess, or in the studio. So you had after. To, I mean, you had to lip sync that song like sixty. Oh, nine hundred times. <laughs> and and look, you know. You lip sync it, but you're really singing because you sure. can't lip sync. You have of to course. perform each sure. time of course. To, to get the realness of what it is. Yeah. You you can't yeah. just go through the motions and move your lips, you know. And, and, and I'm an artist like that. I'd rather sing it. Yeah. Because yeah, each bet. time you get a different emotion. Each sure. time it's a different interpretation. If you're just lip syncing, you're not. You're, you're just going through the motions. You're acting yeah. it. Yeah. You know. So I mean, it was grueling. But uh-huh. it was fun. Yeah, yeah, I love what okay. I do. So, yeah, and I yeah. always have. So, wow. you know, I I didn't mind. Let's t- let's take it again, yeah, or yeah. you know, you really have to sing it, and yeah. not just move your lips. You know, but yeah. yes, that was some major work. That seems like it. Okay, of all the bands and all the you know musical people that you've collaborated with, I'm, I mean, I'm going to kind of over your resume a little bit, looking through all your mm-hmm. credits and everything. That seems like the one that where you might have been viewed as the most equal partner. Yes. Rather than a background singer on yeah. a couple of tracks. You seem like a member of the band. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Totally. Totally. So you're a member of Simple Minds there for a couple of years. I was treated as though I were a treated member. Treated as one. Yeah, okay. When we did photo shoots, uh-huh. We, we would. Uh, I was definitely in the photo shoots with them. I mean, they yeah. were separate times where they would go off and do their publicity or whatever. But I was given equality. Yeah. Okay. In that band. That's amazing. And major respect. Major sure. respect. And and those young men were very protective. 
Good. You know, and at the same yeah. time, you know, young and just the world had opened up for them. Yeah, no kidding. You know, so they had those no moments of, yeah, I just wanted to slap them, but at the same sure. time. Sure, Well, egos <laughs> are probably running rampant. Yeah, their, yeah. Their dreams are coming the kings true, of right? the world. Exactly. The kings of the world. Exactly, yeah. You know, but a lot of love and a lot of respect. Jim gave me a platform that yeah. had not been given to me, just as you okay. said. A yeah. lot of my work had always been to sing background. Yeah. And Jim was truly the first person. You know, I mean, David did that in his own way, but we sure. were still sure. his background singers. Exactly, yeah. Jim said, exactly. Robin, it's yeah. only going to be you here. We're featuring you. Yeah. So if you see, there's like a couple of videos, I think maybe live in Rotterdam. There's like mm -hmm. a couple of times on the tour. And he introduces me and he says, Robin Clark, the sweetest voice in America. <laughs> and yeah. it can't get any better than that. No, no. It's not like there were three other people standing next to me who were the sweetest right. voices in America. No, no. <laughs> you know. Oh, and it's so apt. That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They kind of, do you know why, I mean... I love them so much, and I have every album and everything, but they kind of blew mm -hmm. it on the follow-up. They I kind know. of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it took four years, it wasn't very good, totally yeah. different direction. This is your land, it's the way it was planned. Sky to the sea, something to see. How did you take that? Did they have to come to you and say, we're going a different route, and thanks, Robin? You know, and the amazing thing is when when we were, after we had toured and done the album and the two years of touring, they had really, they also had management around them that was saying, you know, you have to go in this other direction. You have uh -huh. to, you know, not recreate what you just did. Do something yeah. else. And yeah. and they had that same thing that David had, where uh -huh. now we're going to, you know, David, I'm not doing Diamond Dogs anymore. I'm not doing Ziggy Stardust. Now I'm doing Young Americans. Yeah. And they were sort of in the same place, where they were trying to evolve into something else. Okay, yeah. You know, well, and they had um, evolved. I don't know how familiar you were with their early stuff, but... They were in the process of evolving when Once Upon a Time came out. Oh, absolutely. They were absolutely. a very different band than they had started with. So I absolutely. guess you say, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. They're just, it's kind of a Bowie thing. They're continuously changing yeah. and searching yeah. and evolving, and their exactly. views took them to a new area. It didn't quite work out, but that's what they were, they were always changing, and that was just one more change. That was just, a, yeah. And, change, and look, right? it was something that I, I accepted, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
it was good for what it was at the time that it was. It gave me a wonderful platform. But I accepted the fact also because I've worked with different artists. At that point, I had worked with several artists over the years who, you know, you you do this one record and then the next record you do, I don't call you because I've moved on to another place in my life. I'm trying to not reach back. Right, right. You know, I was thinking about that. You and Carlos both, obviously, having been so close to David, maybe it's different because you knew each other and you lived across the hall, but does it ever get personal when he decides I'm going a different direction and your phone's not ringing? Or is that part of the business that you understand? Well, you try for it not to be. But, Uh I mean, you're only human. You're saying, wow, why didn't you call me? Right, know, But at the same time, because we're artists, we understood Right. You know, if yeah. you speak to Carlos, Carlos will tell you he was always amazed that David called him back. No matter really? how close uh, we were, as an artist, you are evolving. And look, we worked with the most evolving person in show business. Okay? Yes. So, just as when we met him, he had killed off the other characters mm-hmm. and he was embracing this new character. Right. You never expected it to go to the next place, go to the next level. I mean, I remember when we finished doing the Young Americans tour, Luther Vandross was Uh upset because he was like, I can't believe he's not calling us, you know, for station to station, (laughs) you know. But David, David was a person who, let me try this. I'm dreaming of this moment. I want to try it. Yeah. And then yeah. he would do that, he would exhaust that, yeah. and he would get bored or he would feel like, I've, I'm, I'm going to the next level now. I'm, yeah. I'm, first of all, he was so curious. There is no yeah, way in it. the world Curiosity, that he would yeah. stay in one place. And that is your right as an artist, and I think that's what you're supposed to do as an artist. I agree, yeah. You're supposed to evolve, and well, sometimes and you don't take the people with him. you. Yeah, I Absolutely. think that's why people respect him, even if they didn't like or understand where he was going. Yeah, you, yeah. You couldn't. You had to respect the journey, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And look, so. Carlos has always said. I mean, because Carlos is one of those uh, musicians who worked with him longer than anyone, except yeah. for Mike Garson, played yeah. on more albums than anyone, was his band leader on more tours than anyone. Yeah. And each time it was just like, oops, David called. I can't believe it. Because David, yeah. you know, he don't, first of all, he was a man who, whenever a tour would end or whatever a record would, we'd be done with a project, he would never say goodbye because David didn't like goodbyes. Mm-hmm. So it would okay. be until I see you the next time. Yeah, okay. And that's what I, I must say to you too, John. What's so ironic about the way he passed away? Because he didn't like goodbyes, so it made sense to us that he didn't queer his pitch. He didn't say yeah. anything. It's right. until I see you the next time. Yeah, yeah, very true. You know. Yeah, he did it his way. Yeah, and look, the thing with Simple Minds and them, because several people have asked me, well, why didn't you do the next stuff, and why didn't you uh-huh. do, you know. It was the same thing. These young men yeah. were trying to evolve. Yeah. And yeah, they're chasing something. They were totally chasing something. Yeah. And yes, they featured me and they exalted me and they gave me this wonderful place, but still, it's their band. It's still Simple right. Minds. It's not the Robin Clark show. 
you know. So yeah. I I understood that and I accepted that. Okay. Do you and still because keep my touch own life was anything? oh I'm I'm totally in. I I just saw Mel maybe a year and a half ago in London. Uh, uh, there's a Mel. singer that's a friend of mine, Jocelyn Brown, oh, and she lives okay. in London. And I, Carlos and I, and my daughter went over and stayed with her for like three months. Really? And Mel and I hung out. And had a blast. I oh have, to- have totally been in touch with Jim, sure. especially through the period a uh, few years back. Jim's uh, mother passed away, oh. and uh, he and I were corresponding. I haven't seen him, but we sure. have definitely spoken and corresponded with each other. Okay. And look, and Charlie as well. And and yeah. you know what's so great is all these years have passed, and we still love each other. That's great. And we can still talk to each other like yeah. we just saw each other yesterday, and that's a testament that is to the just the love and the respect and the admiration yeah. and the comfort that you yeah. have with each other. Totally, totally. You know, I'm sure you know together. this. I'm sure you yeah. sure you have friends exactly. that you haven't seen for a while, but then when you do see them, it's just like you spoke to them yesterday. Exactly, exactly. And and yeah. that's what I have with them. Wow. Yeah, Mel Gaynor is one of my all-time favorite drummers. No one yeah. hits it like he does. Mel I, is I one of the best. I love him. I love him. Well, let's. Yeah. Talk, I want to talk about one of your other collaborations. Then, Chic. I mean, oh. and that appeared. You know, again, going over your resume, I'm thinking, why is Robin Clark on a Belouis or however you say that Belouis some album? Belouis and why some. is she? Yeah, and why is she on David Lee Roth? And it's because of Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers, right? Uh, yeah, to a certain she, extent. I, okay, well, that's what I'm wondering. Is like, you know, you had because you're you're you seem very loyal. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Debbie Gibson. There's a lot yeah. of these people who yeah. you seem to work with them kind of over and over again. Well, you know what? They were loyal to me. They were loyal to me. Yes, I'm I'm loyal, and I was loyal to them. But they're the people who kept calling me, and that's because True. they believed in me. Yeah. And they knew that they could call me, and I would get the job done. In Niall's case, I had known Niall since we were teenagers. Carlos wow. and Niall were friends when they were 18 and 19 years old. Niall used to be Carlos's sub-guitar player. When Carlos couldn't make a gig, he'd no recommend way. Niall. I just finished reading Niall's autobiography last week mm-hmm. yeah i'm a huge fan okay yeah, so yeah. friends since teenagers wow yeah they had known each other quite a while we did carlos and i used to be in a repertory company named listen my brother at the apollo mm-hmm. carlos uh myself luther vandross and fonzie thornton and we did the first pilot for sesame street really yeah and jim henson came down to the apollo theater 
the repertory company was for underprivileged kids who lived around New York City who were talented, but they just didn't have an outlet to show their talent. And I had actually gone to the Apollo with Luther because he and I went to high school together, and he said, come with me to this audition, and I went with him. And uh, for his audition, the guy who ran the whole thing came over to me and he says, what do you do and why are you here? <laughs> and I was intimidated. I was a kid. I was in high school. Right. And right. I said, oh, I'm a friend of Luther's. He says, well, do you sing? I said, a little bit. <laughs> uh-huh. He says, well, get up and sing a song. So that's how I got in that group. Wow. Fast forward. Jim Henson comes down. He chooses us to be on the first pilot of Sesame Street. We do that, and then consequently we do, maybe a year later, a second show for Sesame Street. They mount a Sesame Street tour. Carlos goes out on the road for the Sesame Street tour, but he gets a call from the main ingredient to go out on the road with them. Niall was the guitar player that took Carlos's place on that tour. Oh, okay. So we've known Niall Rogers since 19, 18, 20 years yeah. old. Right. And wow. so weird, we just spoke with Nile yesterday. Really? Yes. Yes, wow. because he, he and Carlos are still friends. I mean, we're all still close. I want to talk about your music, too. So were Nile and Bernard not, was that connection not necessarily what took you to David Lee Roth? And tell me, Bluey, is that how you say it? She lit a cigarette she was hungry like a choice of life Only you can try to see what I'm really like, she said Only you can understand the way I feel tonight She blamed excesses on the American dream So seldom witnessed, never seen Bluey Psalm is there. <laughs> I've always known that band, and I've never, I love those songs, yeah. and I've never yeah. known how to pronounce it. Okay, yeah. Bluey Psalm. Bluey Psalm. Well, the lead singer of Bluey Psalm, his name is Neville Kiley. He's English, and Carlos had been working with his producers, Steve Thompson, who is an engineer and a producer, and Michael Barbiero. And you got to remember that. In, in New York and in the session world, especially during that time and even before yeah. in the 70s, it's a small group of people. It seems yeah. like a huge group, but it's everybody knows each other. Right, right. So for for, for Bluey Psalm, we were friends with the producers. Hmm. Carlos was playing guitar in the album, Let's Get Robin to Come In and Sing. Oh. That's how it happened with David. I okay. Carlos called me and he said, uh, what are you doing? And I said, um, nothing. He said, well, what are you doing this weekend? Come on down and visit me. We were married, but I was at yeah. home in, in New York, and he was in Philadelphia. I said, he says, come right. visit me. I said, okay, can I bring Luther? And he said, sure, because Luther and I were buddies. Wherever he yeah, went, I sure. went. Wherever I went, he went. Right. So can I bring Luther? He said, sure. And that's how we wound up being on the Young Americans album. And it's the same thing for Bluey wow. Some. Really? Uh, David Lee Ross, Nile was doing something with David Lee Roth, and next thing right. I know, I got a call 
to come and sing on his record because okay. there is a very family that vibe. Yes, I can tell. Know. That and album, I just listened to it the other day. I'd never heard it before. I knew some of his other stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't love that album, even though I love most of what Nile does. But my favorite right. song on it is clearly the one I think you're singing on, which is <laughs> A Little Luck. that I, I got to tell you, I never thought that I would be a part of. No kidding. I grew up singing. I had have been singing since I was a kid. I knew that that was something I wanted to do all of my life. And I truly believe in fate. Yeah. I believe in karma. I believe that there is a force in this world much larger than myself. My life could have taken sure. different directions, but it didn't. Yeah. There is a reason I I went to high school with Luther Vandross, and he, one day, we had done a talent show, and I'm in the train station, and I lived in Manhattan, and he lived in the Bronx, which is going uptown, one way going uptown, and the other way going downtown, and we're in the train station, and he yells across the tracks at me, and he says, hey, I hear you sing, and I said, yeah, I do. Yeah, he said, "Hold on a minute." I'm, I'm because we had seen each other in school, but we didn't really know each other. We'd seen each other at different talent shows, but we didn't really know each other. Yeah, yeah. we were in the same grade in high school, but we weren't friends. And he says, "I'm going to come over there." And he goes up in the street. He comes down on the other side. I'm going back to Harlem where I lived. Right. And he told me who he was and he, you know his name. And he says, "Well, you sing." He says, "Sing this for me." And at the time, there was a, a song by Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells called Down the Aisle. Two. 
and he uh-huh. sang it, and I sang it back to him, and we became friends from that moment on. Wow. Wow. It was like, okay, you can sing. Come on with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be friends. Yeah, and we shared that in common, and we also shared that, you know what, all we wanted to do was sing. Yeah. We it we lived it, we breathed it, and we found common ground there, and the fact yeah. that we shared so much in common just as far as, you know, kismet, as far sure, as... Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Like, you know, we were so much alike, not right. nothing alike, but so much alike. That's great, wow. So... My road, my traveling on this road has been very, yeah. very blessed and fortunate. No kidding, no kidding. You know, um, and that I, I, I met the right people who believed yeah. in me. Well, and it's not a fluke, though. I mean, you, you can sing. You, oh, uh, you, thank you. It, it capitalized on a talent that might have laid there dormant otherwise. Now, yeah. You know, you... you the right things happen to bring out the best in Robin Clark. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and bring that to the world. How come no solo albums? Was it ever a, a temptation for you to do a solo album? I did one solo album. So that, uh, you know, so weird. I tried I, to find it. There was one. I didn't see it. Surrender. Surrender. It I was saw on Columbia that. HME is the name okay. of the album. I saw that listed somewhere, but couldn't find yeah. it anywhere, and I thought maybe it wasn't. True. I think you can okay. buy it on Amazon at this point because okay. the company okay. once I was signed by John Hammond, who used to be the president of Columbia Records. He discovered Dylan. He discovered Billie Holiday. My father was a musician. He had actually discovered my father. His name was Bill Clark, and he was a drummer. He worked with George Shearing and, and in his time, Count Basie and Duke Ellington and Miles Davis, wow. yeah. Dizzy Gillespie, all these different people. You know, Luther was the person who kept pushing me and saying, you got to do an album. You have to do an album. By that point, because the record was done in 1983, mm. by that point, I had been working so much, John, yeah. and having a ball at what I did. That it wasn't really, I used to write with Carlos, we had a studio, we'd record all the time, we had worked on tracks, Luther had written a bunch of songs for me and and produced them. But there was a part of me that was so fulfilled Mm -hmm. in what I was doing, that that really was not the paramount, you know, it sounds crazy because most singers are like, you know, the the album, the album, the album. I was happy as a clam doing what. That's what I've wondered. I mean, obviously you've you've collaborated with some major people, but I was wondering if it was satisfying you artistically. It sounds like it was. Oh, absolutely. I was so just thrilled and still am. 
good. Okay, good. Worked on that record. I was very happy with the record. Unfortunately, John Hammond passed away. Mm. When he passed away, they shut down the division of Columbia that I was signed to. Okay. So the record came out, but when he died, there was no more promotion. There was no more options because yeah. I was his baby. Right. Okay. So, huh. you know, and yeah, at I'm the same at time, I had Amazon a small right child. Yeah, yeah. At, the, at the same time, I had my daughter was young, and Carlos was on the road, and it was just I needed to concentrate on raising my kid. Sure, sure. You know, okay. and and I was still able to do all the work that I was doing, still able to sure. sing, still yeah. able to do shows around New York City, and and doing jingles, and you know, working on Broadway. I, yeah. I have run the gamut. Okay, I was at, so you've done a lot of that stuff too. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm looking look, at the. Oh, go ahead, please. I was going to say, you know, just for singers. Doing jingles, it's so funny. I mean, when I first met David, I told him I did jingles, and he went, ugh, jingles, how could you? (laughs) And then years later, he has commercials on TV, and I always tease him. Remember back in the day when you were saying to me, you know, ugh, jingles. Well, that's a singer's bread and butter. It allows you to be creative because jingles pay. Yep. Yep. Which allow you, as an artist, to go and do whatever the heck else you want to do. Yep, yep. Very true. So, I've yeah. talked to a lot yeah. of people on this podcast, and they they made their living, and especially during some of the leaner years, mm-hmm. you know, from a rock and roll perspective, yeah. with jingles. And they made yeah. a lot of money doing jingles. Yes, you can. Famous yes, ones can. that everybody knows, you know, That's and he was right. the guy who sang it. You'd never know. That's right. Yeah. I did a bunch of those. I yeah. I was the voice that there's a commercial for Jamaica, One Love, One Love, One Heart. Come to Jamaica and feel all right. That's me. I remember that. And that, was that you. ran for 15 years. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. That ran for 15 years. Oh. You know, Luther too. Tons yeah. of jingles. Yeah. Wow. But you can make an, a ridiculous amount of money doing that, and at the That's same perfect. time, it allows you to do whatever else you want to do. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to drive a cab. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no kidding. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Well, look, I uh, i mean, I have a mil- I could go on for hours and hours, but i wow. you are so gracious. I, oh, you mean a lot I'm to so me. I'm so sorry we had have. such a hard time getting through. the. Fir- but, you know, here we are. There you have it, Robin Clark. I have loved that lady for so long, and I've always just associated her with Simple Minds. I didn't even really know about all the other stuff. But to think that she took the time to talk to me about not just Simple Minds, but Bowie, and all that personal, regular stuff about Dave the Guy. I hope you guys thought that was as interesting as I did. I just wanted to know Dave, the guy who lives down the hall, who comes over to borrow a cup of sugar. That's the guy I wanted to know. And to think that she has that kind of insight. There's not that many people in this world who have that kind of insight. I'm so grateful that she talked to me like that. My feet didn't touch the ground for days after that. You know what? You guys have probably seen those clips of Bowie on Dick Cavett back in the 70s when he supposedly just coked out of his brains. Watch those clips again. His background singers, one of them is Luther Vandross, and 
Standing next to Luther is Robin Clark. And you probably didn't even realize it. That's the same lady from Simple Minds and the same lady that's married to Carlos and the same lady that we're talking to here. Next week, we're going to talk to Carlos Alomar, and he's going to fill us in on his thoughts about working with David and some of the songs they wrote together and the creative process and all that kind of stuff. It's really fascinating stuff. I hope you guys come back for that one as well. Huge thanks to Jan Makevich for producing the podcast, as always. We're grateful for him. Please, guys, go on to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and write us a review. And go back into the archives. There might be other guests in there that you know and would love to hear their stories too if you like this format there's more in there for you and if not send me a note and tell me who you would like me to find for you you can email me at the hustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter at the hustle pod or find us on facebook that's probably the most connective way you can like our facebook page you can communicate with me that way Or we also have a YouTube playlist. Go and subscribe to the playlist. Just type in the Hustle Podcast Playlist. I post videos, more obscure interviews, live cuts, that kind of stuff of all the guests that we've had on the show. So come back next week, guys. We'll talk with Carlos Alomar. See you all then. Do you remember your President Nixon? Do you remember the bills you have to pay? Simple sets of